0: that's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio. Empowering people to enrich society. Today's scripture for your consideration comes to us from Psalms 1, verses 1 to 4. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Here ends the scripture.
0: 2020. Have you ever wondered how we got here We're in September, not the beginning of September. We're towards the end of September. And yet we are surviving in the midst of an all-encompassing pandemic, COVID-19 pandemic, racial pandemic, and an ideological pandemic. And for me, 2020 has provided an opportunity for reflection and contemplation and to experience the full range of emotions, many I didn't even know I had. When I I have experienced these emotions in the past, when I've needed answers or comfort, I've often turned to poetry, fiction, music, art, and of course, the Bible. The book of Psalms is probably the one that I turn to during times like this. In fact, you can even go and get a greeting card to celebrate or mourn with someone, and most likely, there'll be a version of a psalm on that card. Psalms are believed to be hymns and prayers for the people, and when read, you can see that the psalms represent the mountaintops, the valleys, and the plains of our journey through life. Many of the Psalms are laments and prayers for both the individual and the collective. Prayers for sickness and betrayal, abandonment, false accusations, slander, and oppression— But there's also blessings and celebrations of joy in those Psalms. Psalm one begins with law and obedience, and is a rigid beginning to a book. A simplistic reading of this verse is harmful and lays out nicely an us versus them binary or mentality. In fact, Psalm 1 without the other 149 verses can be harmful. And if read by itself, we miss the journey. We miss the praises found at the end of Psalms. In reality, reading the entirety of Psalms shows each of us that every stage of life is represented and that God is with us. In that journey, I wanted us to read Psalm 1 today to begin to lay the groundwork in understanding how a verse or a phrase used on its own, without learning the who, the what, and the why it is being used or spoken, can cause harm if taken out of context. For example, Black Lives Matter. Recently, Pat Robertson, a televangelist and media mogul, stated the following about the movement for black lives, and I quote, they're talking about Marxist communism, destroying the nuclear family, painting Christianity as racist and wanting to upend the capitalistic structure to destroy America. Of course, we see that police can be violent but we don't want to go along with the lesbian, anti-family, anti-capitalist Marxist revolution. Sounds very much like a Psalm 1 pitting an us versus them. Let's take a few minutes and watch this video about Black Lives Matter to begin to learn more for ourselves. After Michael Brown was murdered in Ferguson, Missouri, Brenda Salter McNeil, a black pastor, began meeting with the grassroots organizers to learn about what the role of the church could be in the movement. And what she learned is that the organizers did not see a role for the church at all. She learned that so many of the issues that they were organizing for were based on systematic racist structures, such as education and housing, pay inequity, interactions with the police, and an over-representation of those incarcerated. And that these issues were often brushed aside by religious practitioners and then tainted in our political and media systems. Many of those grassroots organizers were confused at how different religions can preach the love of your neighbor, the golden rule, while black, brown, indigenous, lesbian, gay, queer, and transgender folks were still being brutalized and disenfranchised. And that's what stood out for me I've heard these cries and claims before. Since graduating from uh, Lutheran Theological Seminary of Philadelphia with a Master's in Theology and Public Leadership, I've really been curious and attracted to how does liberation theology work in the world beyond church's walls. Bear with me as I take you on my journey of discovery. Liberation theology is about centering those who are the most oppressed. Originally started as a South American movement, it was a contrast to what Catholic teachings were about. Saying it is this, but then real life experience demonstrating something completely different. So I was really moved about how liberation theology can fix or work to at least proclaim and bring awareness to the troubles of those who are living outside of the walls of of privilege. But what I came to learn is that there are even limits to the theology's liberation. And to me, I noticed how it really was male-centered or focused on male experiences So I turned my focus to feminist theologians like Ivan Gabata, who's an excommunicated nun from Brazil. I learned how even in her journey to be a public theologian that she began to realize the harm to women when theology only focuses on the male experiences. And she started to call herself a feminist liberation theologian. She has since changed that stance. But it was around this time that even feminism was being critiqued by men and also by women as not being, and in particular for the women, as not being inclusive of all women. It did not center the needs of the most marginalized, which were the black, brown, and transgender women. And so, womanist theology emerged it emerged to reexamine the ways in which scriptures, practices, traditions, and biblical translations have always centered the experiences of men, both white and black men, and the virtue and needs of white women. Both feminist and womanist believe that we must include women's experiences in religious history in general to expose the male-centered biases of our classic theology and begin to articulate a faith that incorporates full humanity, women as equals, not as subordinates. The difference between the two, however, is how the conversation and growth was framed. And again, who was centered in the work? Where feminist theologians worked to center women, often black, brown, and queer women were left out of that equation. And so it was the womanist theologians that centered black, brown, indigenous, and transgender folks as a way to push back against that male centered or that patriarchal approach in religion. These womenist or womenist theologians encouraged us to reframe our language to be more communal. Because black women have always been communal. They've been behind the scenes of church, running church, running the family, running the social justice movements, and believing that the world can indeed change even as their daughters and sons were being killed. But how does a predominantly white denomination, and myself as a white woman, use womanist theology as a guide to how we or I make love real in the world. For me, it is in the process of experiencing the mountaintops and the valleys and the plains of life that the Psalms demonstrate to us. I realize that in my own understanding of being a queer woman, a single mother to a black son, what that means to all of those that I call my comrades, the women inside prisons, those who work to create spaces of freedom in the midst of violence, those who do care work, and for my mentors here at the Church of the Beatitudes, On this journey to become a pastor, how can I pay attention to the lessons of the past, name what I don't know, ask for help, put my values into practice, and admit to my own trip ups? And there's been so many in the process of learning how not to cause harm to others. I don't have to look any further than the movement for Black Lives. They are an intersectional group founded by queer women of color, queer black women. Black Lives Matter is about the redistribution of resources. Let me say that again, the redistribution of resources. And that in itself models the cause of womanist theology. The new executive director of the nonprofit arm for the Movement for Black Lives, Patrice Colliers, has recently stated that their mission moving forward is this, and I quote, We have reimagined and begun to create the next normal, one that values, validates, and recognizes humanity's interdependency with and reliance upon black people and our ability to thrive. We have centered voices and people most marginalized by societies and states. Let's not forget that the most marginalized in the history of the United States has always been the stolen black bodies who were brought here to build an economy on stolen Land. In the larger system of a corrupted reading of Jesus' ministry and mission, our LGBTQIA folks are now bearing the weight of that harm. Again, if we take a statement or a phrase on its own without context, we do just that. We take it out of context. And so when we hear defund the police from grassroots organizers across the country, across the world, we can see why it creates a system of or a binary of us versus them. But if you take the time and dig deeper, you will learn they believe that harm and conflict against one another can and should be handled in a way that doesn't need violence that doesn't need police, and it doesn't need prisons. I know that is hard to say when you've been a victim. It's natural to want justice towards someone who's harmed you. But the way we here in America practice justice through punishment is not justice. Let me repeat that. The way we define and practice justice is not justice. Just ask those on either side of the experience. We must dream of something different. Jesus continually calls us to love and care for those who are condemned and discounted. And it's not just a call. It's at the very heart of his mission. And he models it for us time and time again. If Christianity was built on empathy, how can we give each other the space and grace to learn in this journey? I can't breathe, uttered by George Floyd in the last eight minutes and 46 seconds of his life. Those same words uttered by George Floyd were uttered by Eric Garner, who resembles my son. Those same words could have been uttered by Jesus on the cross, a minority opposed by the most powerful government in the entire world but I encourage us to always make a practice to stir our own minds thoroughly, to think through what we've easily believed, and know that our position is not really ours until we make it ours through the suffering and the study of life. The Psalms, all 150 of them, and Jesus' mission demonstrate that through so much injustice and suffering— that we cannot resign ourselves to the reality that we've created or inherited. Both indeed are examples of us to reimagine what is possible. So let's get to work. I ask you today what is the work your soul must do to live a faithful life? How can you, in this experience of the mountaintops and the valleys and the plains, create spaces of freedom, and then bring others along with you. And for our black folks, know that I see you, I will follow you, I love you, and that your lives matter. Amen.
1: Our second scripture verse today comes to us from Psalms 139. Verses 14 to 15. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Here ends the reading. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online-giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.